Hello, my lovely people, and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. This week, we will be talking about If the Frame Fits, season two, episode 22, the last one of season two, first aired May 18th, 1986. And the IMDb summary reads, Jessica is spending her holidays with an old friend, Lloyd Marcus. His daughter is found murdered in her house and her husband, Donald, becomes the prime suspect. Well, like I said last week, there's going to be a bit of ranting at the end of this. (laughs) So let's get into it. First, of course, we have the characters and then the story. So we have Ellen Davis, Donald Granger, Binky, Hallborn. (laughs) Police Chief Cooper, Frank and Mildred Tilly, Lloyd Marcus, Sabrina Marcus, Julia Granger, and Forbes. So let's get into the episode. So we start off with seeing a gloved hand and it is putting something on a door lock, right? So clearly crime is afoot. We then see this person in a separate room of the house and they are about to cut out a painting from a frame. When we then go outside and see Jessica and her friend Lloyd pulling up to the house. They then enter the house and Lloyd is calling for Forbes his houseman, right? And he's like, oh, I forgot he's off tonight. But as this conversation is going on, we see the person who was about to cut the picture, the painting out of the frame, then go stop and hide. So once they get settled in the house, Lloyd brings up the fact that he wants to go over a manuscript that His friend, friend, right, quotes, friend, wrote. And he wants Jessica to read over it, which she has done. And he wants the critiques at this point. So Jessica's like, okay, yeah, um, I left my copy in the library. So she then walks into the library and the thief is behind the curtain with a box cutter at the ready. So very suspenseful. Jessica picks up the manuscript She stops for a second and then walks out. So she does not confront this person. Once she gets back to where Lloyd is in the living room, she tells him, well, you know, I really think that I should speak directly to the author to give these critiques, right? Now, she knows that, surprise, Lloyd is the one who wrote this, okay, but she's playing along with this. Lloyd is like, oh, no, 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 you can't. Um, the author lives in um, Tibet. Yeah. So you can't speak to him in person. She's like, okay. So <laughs> um, I guess we can discuss it. Uh, yeah, great. And then they hear a noise. And I don't remember if it was Jessica or Lloyd who says that came from the library. They then go into the library 
And the painting that the gloved hand person with the box cutter was about to cut when they came in the house is now missing. And the sliding glass door is open. So of course, Jessica is freaked out because she was just in that library a few seconds ago, at most two minutes. And that person had to have been in the house because she's like, the slider was definitely closed and the painting was definitely there when I was just in the library. So the next scene, police chief Cooper is there in straight up street clothes. Okay, we don't, I don't think we ever see this man in a suit, but you know what? Do you? As long as you solve crimes, you can wear whatever you want to wear, I guess. <laughs> but uh, Cooper is like, there was no real danger to Jessica. This thief has never hurt anyone before. But Lloyd is like, yeah, but no one's ever confronted him before, which is a valid point. He has never had to hurt someone because he's never been confronted. So if Jessica had, in fact, bumped into him, who knows what he would have done, right? We saw that he had the box cutter at the ready. So who knows if he was going to threaten her with it, if he was going to actually cut her with it. We don't know. Thankfully, we don't find out. So we find out about Chief Cooper that he was with the NYPD for 17 years prior to coming to whatever state or city or county this is. I think it might be someplace upstate New York. I think it might still be in the state of New York. And (laughs) we find out that his wife would prefer that he be a plumber because she really doesn't appreciate these late night calls. And Jessica's like, "Um, but plumbers also get late night calls. Like that, that's actually a thing. And he's like, yeah, but for $24 an hour, it might be worth it. I'm like, well, how much does he make as police chief if $24 an hour is a lot of money to him? <laughs> okay. <laughs> like maybe you should be a plumber if you're making less than $24 an hour. Based, I'm sure he pay, gets paid a salary, but if it doesn't break down to more than $24 an hour, putting your life on the line, um maybe you should be a plumber. Not for nothing. Maybe you should. Okay. Maybe your wife is correct. So we also learn about this theft that it fits the pattern of the previous thefts. No prints left, no clues, and none of the paintings have been recovered. So as they're talking, Forbes, the houseman or butler, returns and he is three, maybe even four sheets to the wind, okay? The way he is clutching his house keys, he really had to concentrate in order to get home. And he's like, no, the house was locked up tight, okay? It was, you know, nothing was left open. And at this point, Jessica takes a look at the door and she sees that there was a piece of tape put over the lock so it could not engage. So although Forbes thought everything was locked up, someone had previously come and put that tape on. We saw the thief do that. And well, actually, no, we didn't see the thief do that. We just saw the tape. We'll find out when and how that happened later on in the episode. So the next scene, we are at the country club 
where we meet Frank and Mildred Tilly. And we learn that Frank is actually the mayor of this city or town. And we also meet Julia. Now, Jessica is there with Lloyd, right? And Lloyd is introducing everyone. And that's how we find out that Frank is the mayor of this town. And his suit is crazy loud. Like I could hear it in the next room. Wow. Just the entirety of his wardrobe is really like they were going for something. Basically trying to say that he is not the country club, super rich, wealthy, you know, old money type of person. Now, I don't know how he became mayor then. He seems like he does insurance. He sells insurance and he has a regular job. I don't think his wife works. So he makes enough to support both of them living in this town. And so I don't understand why they would elect him mayor if he was, was it a joke? You know, like, I don't know, but his wife definitely feels, it must've been her idea because the way she walks, the way she speaks with people or to people or at people is probably better, is it shows a sense of entitlement that she has and the fact that they're members of this country club really gives her status, right? Besides being the mayor's wife, being part of this country club has a much higher status than being the mayor's wife. So yeah, it was probably her idea to join this club, but he seems so out of his element. It's it's crazy. But anyway, so we meet Julia, who is one of Lloyd's daughters, and she is terrible. Like she is a nasty person and we've only met her for a few seconds and she's just talking about like how much better she is. And throughout she comments about, you know, people who I guess she assumes has less money because maybe they have less fashion sense, quote unquote, because I'm like, girl, you got a mullet. Like, let's not even joke. Okay. You have a mullet, a moulet. Okay. (laughs) Oh my goodness. You're walking around with your hair looking like that. Maybe it was in style. I don't know. I wasn't you know, a fashion plate in the 80s. I wasn't old enough to be. But like, honestly, you're walking around looking like that and you have the nerve to talk about people that you think are have less money than you. You did not make this money. None of this was from your hard work. It was your father and perhaps his father or parents or maybe his mother had money. This is old money that you just inherited, okay? When her mom died, she inherited this money. So her mom was the one who had family with money. And maybe the father did too, but that's where your money came from, your family. You didn't work for it. And Lloyd clearly doesn't like Donald. And we'll get into that a little bit because... (laughs) Lloyd is like, yeah, it doesn't look like marriage is agreeing with you. And Julia's like, no, it's because you don't agree with my marriage. And we'll find out that Lloyd is 100% correct to 
feel some type of way. He believes that Donald is a gold digger. Okay, he says fortune hunter. I think that's what they call gold digging men, fortune hunters. But yeah, there is some evidence that (laughs) supports Lloyd's position. So while they're doing a tour of the country club for Jessica, we meet Binky and Ellen. Binky is a card. Like he is a real character. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) He is the stereotypical country club middle-aged man who has never had to work for money and just has this sense of entitlement. But I don't think that he, no, okay. He says some slick things about Ellen, who is a secretary at the country club. So his comment about her was very elitist. So I was going to say, well, at least he wasn't as snobbish as Julia, which is true, but he was close. He wasn't too, too far behind her. So we find out that Binky had come to Lloyd's house yesterday. So the day that Jessica came in and the painting was stolen before Jessica's plane even landed, Lloyd is like, he was so excited that you were coming that he came to my house even before your plane had landed. So yeah. And now they're finally getting to meet and we find out that Binky had the very first painting that was stolen, that he was out for, well, we find out where he was later on in the episode, but he then invites everyone to a dinner party to honor Jessica. And so of course Lloyd is down for it, but Ellen has plans and Julia is planning to have a quiet night at home with Donald You know, he works a lot, so she doesn't get this opportunity too often. And of course, Lloyd like cuts his eyes. It's just like, oh, he's working cute. So So the next scene, we are inside at lunch and it's Jessica, Lloyd and Julia. They're waiting for Donald and Lloyd may have commented on the fact that Donald was late. And Julia's like, oh, I'm sure he's just stuck at work. Um, Unlike the parasites here. And I'm like, dude, you're actually a parasite. That's what, that's what you are. Because you are living off of your father and your mother's money, your grandparents' money, maybe your great-grandparents' money. You've never had to work. You've lived in this life of leisure the entirety of your life and you have the nerve to be talking about other people. Honestly, you're no better than them. You know what I mean? Like, but she's like, at least Donald works. You know, he's not just living off of me or something like that. I'm like, but you're living off of your family's money, which there's nothing wrong with that. But to then judge other people who are doing the exact same thing is ridiculous. It really is ridiculous. And it shows that you were not raised correctly. They gave you all these luxuries, but they didn't give you any common sense or decency. Forget even common sense, decency. You have no decency. Like, disgusting. Anyway, so 
she says that, well, my father thinks that Donald is a ne'er-do-well. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. if he, He's putting up with you for a reason. And I'm going to guess that reason is your money. So I'm going to agree with your father that this guy is a fortune hunter gold digger. I don't care if he got a job. I don't care if he got money. He ain't got the type of money that y'all got. Okay, y'all got long money. All right. And the fact that Julia and Donald live next door, I would bet dollars to donuts, okay, that that house was owned by one of her parents' families. And that's how she ended up there with her husband, that that was a gift from her parents and not something that her and Donald, I promise you, they don't have a mortgage in their name. Okay, that house is probably generational. Okay. There is not a single mortgage. All they got to do is pay the taxes on that house. Okay. And the father is probably paying those taxes in the first place, not even Donald and or Julia. So you can miss me with that, honestly. So Donald does finally pop up and it turns out he picked up Sabrina who was in the city and that's Julia's younger sister and Lloyd's youngest daughter. And she needed, she rode in with him. And we'll find out why the tension at the table spikes a bit later. Now, I will say that I understand this is 1986 and that Sabrina's hair and outfit were probably very in style and of the young rich set, but it was bright. Okay. <laughs> Her outfit was loud. She had a sweater and a sweater skirt on, if I remember correctly, with like geometric shapes and all of them were different colors. And you know what? Probably in 1986, if I saw that outfit, I would be like, oh my goodness, yes, please. And thank you. But looking back at it now, I'm like, that is loud. Okay. I think my neighbors heard that outfit. Okay. (laughs) Thank God that the mayor's wife Mildred does not dress as loud as he does because they would they would get arrested for noise complaints because (laughs) Sabrina and the mayor can never be in the same room together because it would just be too much (laughs) so the next scene we are at Binky's house and it's him Jessica and Lloyd because no one else was able to come Sabrina had some appointment as well and everyone had an excuse so it's just the three of them and Binky's like oh well this is a little boring um oh yes um we're supposed to be talking about the book and Lloyd is putting his teacup down he's like yes to I guess he was gonna go pull his copy from where wherever he had it and Jessica is like shaking her head like no no why would you bring that up and Binky's like oh um, yeah, so yikes, how do I get you out of this? And so Jessica's like, oh, you know what? I left my copy back at your house, Lloyd, in the library or the dining room or whatever. And he's like, oh, no problem at all. I can run over. It should take me about 10 minutes and we can get started. So she's like, great. So wonderful. So he he runs off. Lloyd runs off. 
And Binky's like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I did not realize that you did not want to discuss this book that is terribly written. (laughs) He did not want to suffer alone. That was the thing. (laughs) Because Binky has gotten a copy and has read it. And he's like, he feels bad because Lloyd is like a father to him. And he has been so since both of Binky's parents died. I think it might have been a car accident or a plane accident, something like that. And um, he he's like, I wish that I had positive things to say about it. And Jessica's like, I, I know that he wrote it. Like they both know that Lloyd is the one who wrote it. And she's like, I wish that he would just not. Okay. <laughs> and so... They apparently do have off scene, have this conversation about the book and Jessica gives all of her critiques because the next scene we're in the car and Lloyd is visibly upset and Jessica is like, "Um, maybe your friend should write something he's more familiar with. And Lloyd is like, yeah, maybe, you know, the critiques that you gave were really helpful. I'm sure that when I tell him, it'll, you know, it'll be great for him. You know, thank you for taking the time. But it took everything in him to say that because he was upset. So as they're driving, remembering that Julia's house is next door to Lloyd's house. And as they're passing Julia's house, Julia and Donald's house, okay. Lloyd says, why is Julia's front door open. And I'm like, uh, how did you even see that from you're driving in a car on the street and the house is set back a ways and you saw the front door open? The camera had to zoom in. Okay. (laughs) Well, we'll find out soon how he recognized that the door was open conveniently enough. So they pull up They walk in and they see that Julia is dead on the floor. And there is a thick rope around her neck. And it appears to be a cord from the drapes. Like the really thick, expensive drapes have the thick cord. And that appears to have been cut off and used to choke her to death. And so Chief Cooper shows up, of course, because he's the chief of police. And apparently he has a staff of like two. And (laughs) Jessica says to Lloyd was, did you notice that this clock was broken? And he's like, no, that must have happened here. And Cooper is like, it must have been during the struggle. And Jessica's like, there's no evidence here of a struggle and the clock is actually back on the mantle. So how does that make sense? And Cooper has no response for that because he doesn't. And Jessica also notices that there is a cut on Julia's neck. And she's like, why is there a cut if she was strangled by this rope that was very thick, so it wouldn't have cut through her neck like that. So that didn't make sense to her. And she then sees that there is a button clutched in Julia's hands. So Cooper reaches down, he picks it up, I think with a, a tissue, fingerprints and all. 
and it has the initials D-G on it. Lloyd immediately recognizes it as Donald's from one of his custom blazers. And at this point, Donald opens the front door and walks in and is like, what's going on here? And sees Julia and goes to reach for her. I don't know if it was somebody holds him back and he's like, what's going on? What's going on? It's like one o'clock in the morning. We find out. And Chief Cooper goes into Donald's closet and finds the jacket with the missing button and places Donald under arrest. Now, my question is at this point, why isn't the scene roped off? How is the front door just unlocked and open? Why is there no crime scene tape? Why is Jessica and Lloyd able to just walk all over the crime scene? She was clearly murdered, okay? There's no question of whether this was a suicide or a homicide or an accident. It was clearly a homicide. Why is there no scene integrity kept? Why? I understand that there may not be a large police force, But what I'm going to need you to do when you get called for a murder, okay, is to have some crime scene tape to put over the front door to have a uniform officer outside or at least have the car with the the lights and sirens going off or at least the lights at the very least to let them know that it's a crime scene and not allow somebody to just walk in the front door, okay? Like, oh, terrible. This is Police 101, and he was with the NYPD for 17 years. He knows better than this. But also, Jessica knows better than this, and she was just walking all up and around that crime scene. Now, just because you didn't touch anything doesn't mean that a hair can't fall, a fiber can't fall, some evidence can be stepped over. We learned last episode about Fernadence the indents in carpet that furniture makes and how that could be trampled over. So she died on carpet. Y'all aren't even given time for someone to take pictures to see if there were footprints on the carpet. Like everybody except Lloyd in this situation knows better and they did not do better. Okay. A mess, a whole mess. Anyway, apparently there's a lot more ranting throughout. Like, not just at the end, apparently. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Anyway, so the next scene, we are at Lloyd's house. It's apparently the morning now. So the sun has come up, but hours after Julia has been found murdered. And Sabrina is bringing him tea and something to eat. And of course, he's too distraught to eat. And we find out from him that the chief, Jessica also is there. And we find out from Lloyd that the chief has formally charged Donald with Julia's murder. And Sabrina's like, it's impossible that he would do that. And Lloyd is like, how about you grieve your sister rather than feel sorry for some fortune hunter? And he is Exactly right. Now, I don't know the dynamic between the two sisters. I don't. Clearly, Julia is older than Sabrina. We don't know how much older. 
We don't know if they grew up together. They could have been sent to separate boarding schools and really don't have a relationship. But the fact is that your sister was murdered. Even if you do not believe that her husband murdered her for whatever your reasons are, and we'll find out soon what those reasons are, that you should not be concerned about him. You should be grieving the fact. Now, people grieve differently. They do. So I won't go off too much. But the fact is, you're being disrespectful to your father in the sense that he has lost a daughter to murder. And he truly believes that Donald is the one who murdered her. And you're in his house saying that it's impossible for her husband to have murdered her. And it's like, no, how about you you come to make sure I ate? But how about you comfort me in the sense that you don't talk about that man who murdered my daughter? Like, how, how about that? I, I don't think that's asking too much, you know? Sabrina brings up the fact that, and I think this is after Lloyd leaves. She brings up the fact that Donald signed a prenuptial agreement. He gets nothing, right? And she then says she has to get him a lawyer and walks off. Now, I'm going to say this now. We get into this later, but I'm sure... Well, I can't say I'm sure at this point that Jessica has come to this conclusion. But the fact is that a prenuptial agreement is only if you get divorced, or separated. It doesn't cover if you die, right? Because life insurance is separate and apart from it. So if there was no life insurance policy and she died and there was a prenup, well, the prenup really doesn't matter. But I think she brought that up to say he's not a fortune hunter because he signed a prenuptial agreement. So, but... That doesn't really mean that he's not a fortune hunter. That just means that he wanted to give Julia some comfort and her father, by extension, comfort that he wasn't going to run off with her money. That's the only thing that means. That does not mean that in the confines of their marriage that he is not going to spend all of the money and run her dry and then leave her because it's like, whatever, you don't have any money, so I don't care and now I'm going to leave you. That doesn't prevent that, okay? It doesn't. (laughs) So I don't see how, you know, I can see Julia perhaps was in love or lust, let's be honest. Even though Donald's not a looker, but to each his own, each her own, right? Each their own. But... I don't understand (laughs) how someone having a prenup is supposed to show that the person isn't a fortune hunter. Like, no, I'm just going to stay here and run your pockets dry because you would be willing to, oh, well, that's my husband. So of course I'll let him use this money. And of course he can go into this business venture. And of course he can quit his job and live off my family money so we can play golf all day or tennis all day or hang out at the country club and look at all these parasites all day. Of course. You know, <laughs> he's just not going to run off with your money. 
But that doesn't mean he's not going to actively spend your money until there's no more while you're married. Anyway, so the next scene, we are at the precinct and we find out from the chief that Donald does not have an alibi. His dinner meeting with a client was canceled and Donald claims now that he had a late supper with a friend at some beach restaurant and that he just happened to drop into that restaurant, although it's all the way across town, and happened to bump into a friend there. Like it was not prearranged. Okay. <laughs> of course, it wasn't prearranged that you would go across town and just happen to have bumped into a beautiful brunette woman to have dinner with. Okay, I believe it. So the chief it does clearly doesn't believe it because he's like, no one just drops in over there. That it's way over by the beach. The only reason you go there is so you're not seen. And Donald refused to give the name of the friend that he happened to bump into and had dinner with. So you're not even giving the name of your alleged alibi, which is counterintuitive because if it was on the up and up, there would be no problem with you giving her name, but it wasn't on the up and up. So the next scene, we're back at the country club and Mildred approaches Ellen and says, oh, that's a really nice outfit. Well, I guess if you're going fishing, you should have attractive bait. But my whole thing is, as long as she is not coming on to married men, which is to be questioned, she's young. She's trying to catch herself a husband. Okay, if that's what she want to do, let her do it. What's it your business? As long as she's not messing with your husband, what do you care? Why are you mad, ma'am? Why are you mad? Anyway, (laughs) just hating and nasty for no reason. So Ellen, being a woman after my own heart in the petty department, is like, yeah, so um, you haven't paid your club fees in a few months? And like, we have this new system. So maybe it was a mistake that you did not get these bills, even though you should know that you owe monthly. Mm, Okay, you should have called somebody if you weren't receiving them. But I'm sure you'll get this all cleared up. Here you go, brokey. Now she didn't say that. I'm saying that. Okay. (laughs) You talking real big and you acting real snotty to someone who is employed at this club that you have not paid your monthly bill for several months, okay? So if you have money like that, it would not be a problem. She was very nasty slash nice about it, but she could have just embarrassed you, just embarrassed you. She could have been loud, but like, professionally loud and waited for more people to come around to be like, oh, here's your bill. You're several months behind. Please clear that up. Thank you. And just walked away. And she would not have been wrong. 
And what were you going to do? Go to management? How were you going to go to management when you hadn't paid for months? They wouldn't have listened to you. They probably would have asked you to leave. Mayor as your husband or not. So yeah, Ellen shut homegirl down. All right. And I'm like, you shouldn't be messing with people's husbands. She surely wasn't messing with the mayor. So let's not even consider that. So she had no real reason to come after Ellen. Anyway, so Ellen walks off. Mildred is still standing there dumbfounded. And Jessica walks up. And Mildred says that they want to have a dinner party in Jessica's honor. And... I don't remember how Jessica responded to that. I think she was like, uh, maybe, I guess. And so we find out some gossip from Mildred because she's just that person. And we find out that Sabrina was involved with Donald. They met at a ski resort. And she's like, you know what that means? I'm like, that they were having casual sex? Is that what... Is that is that was the conclusion we we're supposed to come up with? And that she brought him home. So I guess that worked out and it turned into something a bit more serious. And once she introduced him to Julia, Donald dropped Sabrina and started dating Julia, got engaged and married her. We don't know what the timeline is of this between when he met Julia to the time they got married. That is something I would have liked to know. I think that would have just added to the background of this story, but we never find out. What we also find out from Mildred is that the day after the wedding, Donald and Julia, well, Donald got a $1 million life insurance policy on Julia's life. Now, I don't know if she also got one on Donald's life and Mildred was just leaving that out because it's more salacious just talking about what he did. And if he did that um, on independently of her, how more salacious that is. Or if in fact, Julia was not involved with this and did not know. So... That's what I mean when I say that a prenup does not mean, one, that the person's not a, a gold digger, but two, it means nothing if the person dies and there is a life insurance policy in favor of the gold digging partner. So yeah, okay. <laughs> that's what you got to watch out for. So the insurance policy. Okay, if you're going on a cruise ship and they're offering life insurance and your spouse is like, yes, let's get all of them. Uh, <laughs> maybe you don't go on the deck at night. I'm just saying people disappear off of cruise ships a little too often. Or if you're going, I also watch a lot of forensic files. So take this with a grain of salt, right? Um, if you're going hiking or anything like that, and there is some level of life insurance <laughs> and this person ain't got no job or any prospects or whatnot, I'm going to need you not to do that. I'm going to need you not, not to go. If they ask you to drive their car, don't do it. Like <laughs> They could have cut the brake lines. I don't know. Like I am concerned for you. Um, 
I'll just say this small portion now. There is no way. Okay, I don't have a sister. But if I did, even if we did not have a good relationship, right? There is no way in the entirety of this world that, one, I would date her boyfriend, okay? Ex-boyfriend, we were just talking and now he's interested in me. There is no way in this world I would do that, okay? I don't, I, I don't know, no, okay? <laughs> no. Two, there is no way in the world that if a guy left me for my sister that I would have anything but pure disgust and hatred for him and we would never be in the same room, okay? Both of you are dead to me. Like, that's just, that's just the truth. That's just my truth, okay? <laughs> now, if we have family events, y'all can't come if I'm going to be there because you just can't. And the thing is, um, their father didn't like him. So I think I could definitely convince my father to be like, uh, you can't come by here, okay? You can see me walking to my car or driving out of my garage in the morning or in the evening, coming back home out of your window that in the house next door. And two, three, actually, I would convince my father to kick them out of that house. Like, don't even give them that house. Are you serious? Now, I, I don't know. They could have purchased it, but I, I truly believe that that was a family house, like that they owned both of those properties. There is no way in this world that I, I would get her kicked out of the club and everything. She would be shunned from this town, from the entirety of the state. Any wealthy area within the tri-state area would know how terrible this sister was. Like, that's just me. That is just the level of, not even petty, just the level of disgust that I would have for both of these people for doing this, okay? It's one thing if things didn't work out with us and now you're interested in my sister, who is a completely different person than me, right? They they have different personalities, dis, different aspirations. And they're different people, but no, that's just, you had your, you had one bite at this family's apple, you took it, get out. <laughs> How is this okay? It's not, it's not. And everyone is just acting like this, the hatred that's bubbling under the surface, they're just gritting their teeth and going along with it. And I'm like, why? Why? You don't actually have to, you're adults, okay? She wants to spend her family money, she can do it in some other state, but she's not going to do that in my face with this man that I was together with that now has decided that he wants to be with her and get married and maybe have children. Like, what? No, y'all got to leave. Y'all got to leave the state. Okay, no. Y'all can't be in my face every day living next door to my father. Who knows? I don't even know if Sabrina lives with Lloyd. I don't think she does, but I don't know where she lives if she has a house, if she has a, an apartment, we don't know anything about Sabrina other than she was in the city and got driven in by Donald. That would never happen. I'm not getting in any vehicle that you're driving. You can't get a ride from me. I don't want a ride from you. We can't even be on the same train. Okay? No. <laughs> 
These people are ridiculous. Anyway, so the next scene, we are back at the crime scene with the chief and Jessica. The chief says that Donald's alibi actually does pan out, that he was seen at that restaurant at 945, um, which is the presumed time of death based on the broken clock, and that he was there with a beautiful brunette woman. They still haven't identified who that person is is. Jessica brings up the fact that this feels like a setup, that everything feels like it's planted and it's too good to be true, right? It's just all perfectly set up. And she then makes a comment about, no, the chief makes a comment about the art, I believe. And he says they all look the same. And Jessica has an art epiphany. So the next scene, we're at Lloyd's and Forbes is there, but Lloyd is not as yet. And she's, Jessica's talking to Forbes and she mentions that the, well, Forbes mentions that the DeVries painting is missing. He doesn't know anything. He doesn't remember, you know, what was up there. So you know, he's of no help. I don't know if it's intentional or unintentional. Jessica then speaks with Lloyd and she's like, you planted the the clues. Like, honestly, you were gone for 40 minutes from Binky's house and you said it was only going to take you 10. And you were the only one who really had a motive to frame Donald. So the next scene, we are at the precinct and Lloyd is telling the chief what actually happened. So he says that he was driving to his house to go get the manuscript that Jessica had left. And he saw that Julia's drapes were torn. So he went up, the door was unlocked. He noticed that she was dead on the floor, right? But that the DeVries painting was also gone, the one that he had purchased for her and had in that house. So he's like, she must have caught the thief in the act. And Jessica says, well, you rearranged the scene to implicate Donald. And Lloyd says, yes, he did, that Donald never loved her, that he left Sabrina when he found out that Julia had most of the money and that Julia was miserable. However, she was too proud or stubborn to divorce him. And Jessica says, or too much in love. Jessica, I don't think that's it. I don't think you had a very great marriage. Okay. I don't think that Julia not divorcing Donald was because of love. I think she did not want to be seen as a failure. Okay. She thought she was better than everyone else. And in order to keep that image, she had to keep this man regardless of the fact that he was out tipping and dipping and having an affair. Okay, we find out more details about that, but I'm going to tell you that now he was having an affair, if not multiple. And, you know, she was, I think she was too proud to divorce him and admit that she made a mistake, you know, that she could not see that he was in fact a fortune hunter. However much energy she put into you know, arguing with her father and anyone else who thought he was a gold digger, 
that she had to prove them wrong. And in order to prove them wrong, she had to stand there by his side being embarrassed by him because I'm sure other people knew that he was out, that he wasn't any good. But she, I don't think she loved him either. I think he was a well put together guy who had perhaps a corporate job and wore nice suits and maybe had some level of pedigree and maybe some amount of money or at least his family was comfortable. They may not have been wealthy, but maybe they were comfortable. And we don't know anything about his family actually. So we don't know if he was poor, if he was lying or or what. But there was no way she was going to let go of that marriage and prove anybody right that she was wrong. And Lloyd also, (laughs) getting back to the scene and off this rant, but (laughs) the chief then indicates that he still believes that Lloyd killed his daughter and framed Donald to cover it up. He's like, the only reason someone covers or frames someone is to cover up the fact that they did the murder. And he was like, do you think that I would murder my daughter? It was extremely difficult for me And especially having to put that button in her cold, stiff hands or stiff fingers. And this resonates with Jessica, but she she keeps this in the back of her mind. The next scene, we're back at the crime scene and Lloyd admits to finding the picture, the painting cut out of the frame. The frame was on the floor and there was a wire that, that is used to hang up the portrait or painting was wrapped tightly around her neck. So that the cuts in her neck were from the picture wire or frame wire. And that would have cut into her neck, killing her. So that was the cut. Those were the cuts that Jessica saw. And Lloyd also says that there was a pizza cutter on the ground with flecks of paint on it and that the lock had been taped over with electrical tape similar to how his lock was disabled and there was a small pen light outside. So the next scene we're at the wake for Julia. Donald, Sabrina, and Jessica are there and Jessica is like they haven't yet identified the art thief but they believe that He is the person who murdered Julia, that she walked in on him stealing the painting and that's, and she was murdered for that. And Donald says, well, um, are there any fingerprints or, or whatnot on the pizza cutter? And I don't remember what Jessica's response to that was, but she then leaves and Donald turns to Sabrina and says, you know what, your father's going to need a good lawyer, so I'll take care of that. And then he leaves. So the next scene, we are back at the country club and Jessica goes into Ellen's office to speak with her. And she just comes out the gate like, you're the woman who was having dinner with Donald at that seaside, seaside shanty. Try saying that three times fast or don't, right? <laughs> And Ellen admits that she was, but that they just happened to bump into each other and had dinner, that there was nothing 
you know, sexual or relationship or situationship-esque going on. So the next scene, we're out on the green, or I think it was the putting, the putting green, yeah. And Jessica is speaking with Binky, who says that when his painting was stolen, it, he was out for a walk. He takes his evening constitutional. Every night after dinner, you can set your clock by him. And that his painting was insured by Mayor Tilly. Well, Mayor Tilly's insurance company, right? So Jessica then goes and speaks with the Tillys. And we find out that their painting was a dog in a clown hat. Okay, like that. (laughs) And I think that one was actually recovered because you can't, who's buying that on the black market? Nobody, nobody. And (laughs) I think just because like, the per- the art thief had to steal from everybody and there was just this opportunity to steal from them that he couldn't let go um, because he had a certain MO that he had to steal something and it happened to be that tragic, okay, <laughs> painting, right? And of course, Jessica is like, oh, well, okay, so um, can I see the insurance um, reports on these stolen paintings? And uh, the mayor is like, uh, yeah, I got to ask home office because I'm sure that's confidential. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that someone needs to get a subpoena, like a court request um, to get that, that just regular... Random people can't ask to see this documentation. I don't even think a FOIL, a Freedom of Information Act or Freedom of Information Law request would have gotten her this insurance documentation, to be honest. Unlike the information she got, what, in Menace Anyone from the mental health facility about Carol slash Barbara, right? Well, it was Carol. Spoiler. Anyway, so we find out that the Tillys were at the opera in New York and that it was also the maid's night off. And she tends on her nights off to hang out with Forbes, Lloyd's butler. However, their maid was actually struck with the flu. So she was home sick that night. So... Well, no, I think she was homesick the night of Lloyd's theft. Yes. So she was, she had the flu the night that Lloyd's painting was stolen. Although it was Forbes' day off, he couldn't have been spending time with her because she was at home quarantined, basically. So the next scene, we're at the precinct, and it's the chief, the mayor, and Jessica. And Like I said, we find out here that the mayor's painting was recovered and Jessica says, well, all of the owners were out of the house and so it had to be someone who is within the community and would know that these people were going to be out when they were as well as the fact that their staff was off on that night that each of the paintings were stolen. So the chief and the mayor start arguing back and forth and accusing each other. 
And Jessica is like, listen, you could both be right. The fact is the art thief is an insider and it could be anyone except Jessica. Because okay? <laughs> she wasn't there when the art, the first few um, paintings were stolen. So it could not have been Jessica, but anybody else, it could have been anybody else. So the next scene, we are at the country club and Jessica is, she sees Forbes and she's calling him and he turns and walks away to act like he did not hear her. And she was like, "Mm -mm, not today. You are not going to ignore me, sir. And (laughs) so she goes up and Forbes is like, oh, hey, hey. And we find out that um, normally Forbes and Elise Elise being the Tilly's maid, usually um, go out on their mutual day off. However, this Thursday, he was with another woman who works at the country club as a chef, and she is apparently much better cook than Elise, and she may be younger and, I guess, has a nicer body, is what he was alluding to. And I'm like, Good for you, Forbes, I'm guessing. But um, is he a prize? Apparently he is. Apparently he has the choice, okay? He has options there. Um, But he asked Jessica to keep it quiet because, um, you know, he doesn't want Elise to find out. And she may not be in the community for much longer. So after she's out, you know, I kind of need to find my next sweetheart because she may not be here this long. But until she go, we got to keep this under wraps. And Jessica's like, why? And so Forbes is like, uh, because the Tillies are having financial problems. That's why. Which is interesting and never brought back up. Like never brought back up. Okay, I'm just going to tell you, it's going to be out here dangling whether what this has to do with anything. The fact that the Tillies have financial problems. So the next scene, Jessica is again talking with Ellen and she admits that, Ellen that is, admits that she had an affair or was having an affair with Donald back in New York and that he claimed that he was going to ask for a divorce. We'll get back to that in a minute. And that she took the club job, the secretarial position, so that she could be closer to him and that her friendship, Jessica determines that and states, well, so your friendship with Binky was a ruse. And she's like, yes, Binky is a bore. He talks endlessly about art and travels to England and Scotland every three months and talks about that droning on and on and on, which I can definitely imagine. And Jessica's like, well, who's having money problems here? Like, I'm not trying to be gossipy, but just a little bit gossipy. And Ellen was like, everybody, the wealthy are always paying late. But I will say that Binky always pays on time. He has never been an issue with paying his dues on time, which apparently is an epiphany for Jessica. And I'm like, okay, so he doesn't want to be embarrassed. So he's paying his bills on time. Okay, that's not strange to me, but apparently I am no Jessica Fletcher. Now, just taking a step back, 
um, to this affair that Ellen is having with Donald. One, he says that he was going to ask Julia for a divorce. We know that that was never going to happen. Why? Because he signed a prenuptial agreement. He could not divorce her because he did not have the type of money, nor could he have had the type of lifestyle that he was afforded by being married to Julia. And the fact is, Ellen wouldn't want anything to do with him either if he was just basic, okay? Also, why did she get a job at the club? He still works in Manhattan. Why would you want to be working in a place where his wife is as well, okay? Because the fact is, imagine, best case scenario, best case scenario, he divorces his wife, right? And somehow, some way, he is able to still afford to be a part of the country club. He's not shunned. She's not shunned, uh, that being Ellen. They get together, right? What makes you think that the owners of this club would allow him to be a member and allow you to work there when one of their oldest family memberships is someone you divorced, Okay, I promise you that Julia would be like, get them out of here. Okay, she would run them out of that town. So why would you get a job there? Your best bet was to stay in Manhattan and you could go and maybe when he has to quote unquote stay late at work, y'all could get together. Whatever he were doing before, why would you get a job closer to his actual home where his actual wife and her whole family live? Like, that's stupid. Like, that's really stupid. Even if he were to leave his wife and marry you, you could not stay there. Why not keep your job in New York City? These people don't be thinking at all. This is just terrible. Anyway, so the next scene. Oh, before we get to the next scene. Okay. Now, it makes sense why Mildred came up to her and had some was talking out her neck okay was like oh I guess you got to dress up if you want to catch fish she was nasty to her because she was sleeping with somebody else's husband so I don't now going back to that Mildred was not actually being mean and nasty for no reason she had a reason a very good reason although Ellen wasn't trying to hit on the mayor and her relationship with Binky would have been fine because he's single. But Mildred knew because she knew some gossip. She knew that he was that she was messing around with Donald, who is married to Julia, another club member, not a, an employee, but another club member. And so I would be slick to her too. Now, I, I, actually, I wouldn't have had any conversation with her because I would be disgusted at the fact that she was sleeping with someone's husband. So I would have no interaction with her. But also, I pay my bills on time every month. So she wouldn't have had a comeback for me if I decided to be spicy. So, <laughs> so there's that too. So I, I take back a little bit from what I said about Mildred because she had a very good reason for disliking Ellen. It wasn't personal, but it was still just a level of, the level of disrespect that 
Ellen had for these people's marriage, I would, by extension, be upset about that too. So I don't blame Mildred completely. Anyway, so the next scene, we're at Binky's and Jessica is there with the chief. The chief has a warrant for Binky's passport. So the jig is up and Binky says, I am delighted that I was outed by someone of your caliber, meaning Jessica. And so the chief is like, so you stole the paintings? He's like, uh, yes, that's the gist of it, chief. (laughs) You ain't have to do him like that, Binky. And so he was like, how did you figure it out, Jessica? She said it was a few things, one of which was that he had gone to Great Britain a week or so after each and every art theft, there were a total of six, that his painting was the first one stolen and that he was in Lloyd's house the day of the theft. And that must have been the time at the point where he put the tape on the lock. And Binky says, well, yes, I did it. And the fact is, my parents, although they loved me, they did not leave a lot of money. And they also did not teach me how to make a living. They only taught me how to appreciate the finer things in life. He says that he would carry the paintings in his golf bag because no one seemed to look there. And so he then proceeds to return Lloyd's painting, which was the last one that he stole. And Binky says, well, you know what? It was exciting. No one was hurt and no one suffered financially. All of the paintings were insured. And the chief said, well, until Julia walked in on you. And he's like, I didn't kill her. Okay. I was with Jessica at the time of the murder. And Jessica's like, yes, he was. And so Jessica brings up the use of a pizza cutter, the electrical tape and pen light and Binky's like, wait, a pizza cutter? I don't think I've ever had pizza in my life, okay? I use a single-edged razor because if you use a pizza cutter, you could ruin the painting. And Jessica's like, epiphany, exactly. Wait, he's right. Of course he's right. He's the art thief. Hello. Okay. <laughs> and he, he's ready to go to jail. He's like, um... I know what I I was eventually going to get caught, but at least it was Jessica Fletcher who is the one who figured it out. So I I can sleep well at night in prison knowing that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Anyway, so this is the, the final scene. This is where all the drama comes out, all the drama. So Donald and Sabrina are at the casket and he's like, yeah, you know, it's been a lot, sis. And Sabrina's like, is that all I'm, I am to you? Is that all I'll ever be? Like, you know, I, I would like us to get back together. And the fact is, like, I don't want to sound cold, but she's dead. I'd do anything to get her back, but you and I need to move on with our lives. And Donald's like, yeah, no, I'm moving to the West Coast. She's like, but I thought, he's like, you thought wrong. So at this point, Jessica walks in and she says, well, we've identified 
Julia's murderer. And Donald throws out some names. And she's like, you're the only one who has a motive. And that motive was to kill your wife, not the stealing of the painting or anything like that. And Donald's like, why would I kill her? I'd get nothing. And Jessica says, no, you would get nothing if she divorced you or you divorced. But now that she's dead, you will collect on a $1 million life insurance policy. And that when Donald walked in to the scene, that he was genuinely surprised because he knew the scene had been rearranged from how he left it, but he couldn't say anything because he would then have outed himself. Jessica then follows that up with, he had to murder Julia in order to maintain his lifestyle that, of course, with Julia's money and to have Ellen, the person, the woman he was having an affair with. And Donald says, I could not have killed her. I was with Ellen from 9.30 to 12 p.m. You verified my alibi. And Jessica says, well, the medical examiner couldn't be that specific as to the time of death. And Donald then says, well, it had to be 9.45 because that was the time on the, that's the time when the clock was broken. So at this point, the chief walks in, he goes up to the casket, he takes his hat off, pays respect. And steps back and says, how did you know what time the clock said? Because I bagged it for evidence before you arrived. Jessica then says, the only way you could have known what time that clock said was if you broke it. Jessica then follows that up with, Lloyd mentioned Julia's stiff fingers when he planted the button, but... That means that she had to be dead quite a while by that time. So she could not have died as late as 9.45. And she also, Jessica that is, brings up the fact about the pizza cutter. And she's like, how did you know that there was a pizza cutter involved unless you're the one who planted it? It wasn't in any reports. And so Sabrina says, I don't believe it. To which Donald then turns into his true self and he says, believe it. It was a $1 million crapshoot and I lost. Count your blessings, kid. It could have been you in that box. And he proceeds to rip off his black band of mourning, I guess that is, and walks over to be taken into custody by the police. And Sabrina is trying to go after him. Jessica grabs her up and she's crying. And that's how the scene and episode ends. Now, now, okay, Sabrina, I'm going to need you to get therapy. I needed you to get therapy as soon as that man left you for your sister. Okay, to be honest, that's when you should have got therapy because you weren't okay. You weren't, okay? And we see that this could have easily been Julia being murdered by Sabrina, like due to jealousy, like we had in Menace Anyone, okay? Where the scorned lover seeks revenge on the new love interest. It could have easily been that because Sabrina did not get help when she needed it. 
And now she definitely needs to get help because this man who she was still in love with, who left her to marry her sister, as soon as her sister was dead, she was not even in the ground yet. Okay, she had not even been buried. And she's like, we need to move on with our lives. Let's get back together. That she was that messed up that she was willing to get with this man and refused to believe that he would murder her sister because she, even when she found out about the $1 million life insurance policy in this ending scene, she still was like, I don't believe he did it. And the fact is he did it, okay? And he was cold as ice and this was all, what he said, a $1 million crapshoot and he lost. He was gambling on your sister's life. He was willing to to marry your sister and whatever came with that and stay in the marriage long enough. We don't even know how long they were married, to be honest. There's a lot of dates and, and time periods that we're not aware of, but stayed in the marriage long enough that he could that the life insurance policy vested right so that it was going to get paid out so it had to be at least longer than six months Um, maybe longer than a year maybe they were married a few years but you were in such a bad way that you wanted to get back with this man and the fact is if you could pick him up at a ski resort okay you could pick somebody else up at a ski resort at a society ball something you you have your entire life ahead of you thank god she wasn't the one who killed her sister because that would have been too much you have a chance to start over but if she does not get help if she does not get therapy then she is going to be at that prison every week talking to him putting money on his books trying to get him a defense attorney the best in the country to get him off even though he confessed And when that fails to try to get his case appealed and up to the Supreme Court and all of that, that's what's going to happen if she does not get a reality check and get help because that's outrageous. Now, I understand. I understand. I am in 2021. Okay. (laughs) I also understand that way back when in biblical times that if your brother died, that you as his brother could then marry his wife and take care of his family and continue that line. I understand that. But you know what? 1986 ain't that, okay? It ain't biblical times, okay? (laughs) It's also not 2021, so she may not get the therapy that she needs. But that's crazy that her sister is literally dead in the box next to her. And she's like... Can we make this happen, Donald? Okay, there are so many other opportunities. You can find your own gold digger. Okay, if you want a fortune hunter, you could find, listen, you could find on some beach somewhere or a ski resort, you could find somebody who ain't got no job and is willing to live off your money and just be pleasing on the eyes and in other areas. And, and that's what you could do. 
Or you can find somebody who's a bit older than you and established and be arm candy. You, the world is your oyster, okay? Or you could just be single and living and loving life. Like you have all of these options and you running after this man that left you for your sister because she was a better financial prospect and then murders her for $1 million, which is not even a lot of money in the scheme of things when you talk about someone being dead. Like get it together. But I don't actually, I I take that back. I don't blame Sabrina because she did not get the type of support that she needed to get so that she could get over this man. And the fact is, I'm going to put a little bit of blame on her father too. Okay. Just, just a little bit that he should have done. He didn't agree with this marriage in part because he believed that Donald was a, a fortune hunter. But my thing is, he should have done everything in his power to get Julia and Donald kicked out of the country club. Like, I'm not even joking. Like, that's what he should have done so that at least Sabrina knew that the father fully supported her in this situation because Julia is trash. And, you know, even if it worked out and they were life partners and, you know, soulmates and everything like that. And it just happened really badly in the beginning, but they were meant to be together and he wasn't a fortune hunter. Best case. Julia getting into this relationship doesn't make her trash. What makes her trash is her personality and her disrespect for people who um, are new money or are not the type of wealthy that she thinks people should be. Okay. That's why she's trash. Okay. And Donald is trash because he, not only was he a fortune hunter, but he's a murderer. So that's why he is trash as well. And the fact is that Lloyd should have used his status within that community to get them shunned. Okay. Just straight up like the Amish shunned. We don't know you. We don't speak your name. You did not exist. Uh, goodbye. He had Sabrina. He still had family. So it wasn't like he was going to be completely alone. He had that, had her and his friends. And I think that may have helped Sabrina in her healing process if they weren't going to get her therapy. So I'm going to put that on him that he should have, if he really was in disagreement with this marriage, that he should have been like, well, you know what? Um, you can't use my name, okay? Or your mama's name to, to stay as a member of this club. All right, I'm going to file complaints. That, that's what I'm about to do so that you get kicked out. And I don't even feel bad about it. Once you divorce that man, you can come see about us and you can rejoin the family. But this club is an extension of this family and you are excommunicated. So goodbye. Lose our number. Do not come to my house. The house next door, it's not yours. It's not yours. Okay, you're being evicted as well. I'm just saying that's what I would do. But I'm not Lloyd. I'm not Sabrina. Um... And I'm definitely not Julia, okay? <laughs> but anyway, that's that on that, all right? <laughs> but I don't know. Like, it's, it's a watchable episode, but there were clearly several frustrating parts here. And I'm just disgusted by the fact that Donald made these moves and was allowed to 
You know what I mean? Like, I understand that maybe Julia being the older sister, maybe she felt that she didn't have any prospects or didn't like the prospects that she had. I'm guessing that she didn't have any. And that's why she was willing to um, believe that Donald loved her and wanted to be with her and made her feel better that she stole somebody from her younger sister. Um, so I can, I can see that. That doesn't make it right. But I can understand enough to get there. But Julia's still trash. I, she's dead, but she's still trash, unfortunately. As is Donald. And I'm glad that he's going to prison. And I just hope that Sabrina leaves him right there and does not continue to extend herself to this terrible, terrible person. Anyway, I said that was that on that, right? No, I mean it this time. <laughs> so anyway, um, this is the last episode of the season. Next week, we will be doing the season two recap where I'll have my, my favorite characters, my least favorite characters, my favorite episodes, my least favorite episodes, quotes from each of the episodes. Now, it may not be all 22, all right, I, I might not have caught a quote from each of these. So <laughs> the ones that I did, you'll have quotes from. And of course, the six degrees of Angela Lansbury. So to find out more about that, you have to listen to the season two recap next week. So another great season comes to an end. But next Sunday at 5 p.m., season two recap. Also, season three starts with a two-parter. So part one will be one week and part two will be the next week. It won't be a super mega episode, okay? <laughs> Unless I decide to do that, but I'm going to try not to. I'm, I'm going to try to make it two episodes. But until then, you can catch me on Instagram at the Fletcher Files Pod on Instagram, you can find me on Facebook at The Fletcher Files Pod on Facebook. You can also, of course, go to the description box, click on the Patreon web link and sign up for Patreon for all the additional content over there and early access to this podcast. And of course, that is The Fletcher Files Pod on Patreon. And also subscribe if you are on any podcast platform that allows you to subscribe, go on and subscribe so you can get these episodes as soon as they come out. But until next time, have an amazing week. Bye.